Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I want to jump right into Scripture. If you're here with us for the first time, we've been in a series for the last month called Alert, or what it means to be, like, share good news or be good news people in our secular world. We've been learning and growing through that. And I want to start right away this morning with this passage from the Apostle Paul uh, as he writes to the church in Rome in the first century. And he says these words, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that awesome? Now this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love that line. Can we say that last line together? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our Heavenly Father, we're... Um, we've been praying and seeking you on behalf of others and needs around the world, and we've been just leaning into your faithfulness this morning and your goodness, and so we are so grateful, and we pray that the overflow of what you do in us, God, um, that we can, in, in a way that you call us and invite us and use us, Lord, to be participants in your mission to share that good news with others. And so as we lean into this text and others this morning and just keep these in our minds as we, we, we come to a close of this series, Lord, please captivate our hearts and uh, help us, God, to uh, just by the pointing of your spirit, think about areas in our lives that you want to touch this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing here, and I mentioned that, like, eight or nine years ago when I was serving um, with, with a discussion group on the campus of John Abbott that, you know, I'd love to connect with people and be with people. And I, would, I, w- I walked into the Wicca Club. That's kind of modern witch stuff. But anyways, Wicca Club. And just to walk in there to be present with the people there because I wanted to learn and understand and find out, like, what are they searching for and where are they putting their hopes in? And, um, and I shared that, and it, it kind of surprised some people and excited other people. Um, but the whole purpose is how do we be good news people in the world around us? And this last week, I met up with someone from our church who's at John Abbott just to spend time with them and hear, see how they're doing. And as I walked onto the campus, um, and just, you know, it was, it was close to the entrance that I'd walk in all the time. Just immediately, I just thinking about the struggles of youth in our, in our day and age, the struggles of, of uh, older youth going to college, the, the wrestling with ideas, uh, the kind of things that, that youth and young adult culture are feeling. In that moment, just this immediate prayer, I just said, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done right here in this campus, right here among these students as it is in heaven. And that just welled up in my heart in, in just this sense that these students that I was seeing coming in and out of the campus, like they need, they need good news. And you and I need good news, and the world needs good news, but just this last Wednesday as I walked there, it just reminded me they need good news. 
And Paul is writing to a church in Rome, and embedded in the biblical story is this idea that God would use his people to bring good news to the world. That's what he's writing about here in Romans. Right in this, the biblical story, Paul even quotes Isaiah, a prophet, to remind us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Some of you guys aren't feet people, I understand. You're like, feet are disgusting. I don't like that. How could they be beautiful? Sorry, I threw you off. Now that's all you're going to think about. But yeah, that's really horrible. But this is the metaphor, right? How beautiful are those who are walking towards people who are involved and invested in people's lives bringing good news? Paul's quoting Isaiah there. Because God's people, and it was Israel's vocation, and now it's expanded into God's church, are good news people who share good news to the world. It's part of our purpose. You might be here today for the first time looking for good news, and I'm going to share about why we're good news people in that sense. And so I hope in the middle of that, you can also get a glimpse or a seed of good news. We've been in this series called Alert, the sense of, you know, what does it mean in our secular culture and what we've been calling a post-Christian culture? We're not just out of modernism from the 18th and 19th century. We're in a, a secular world that, that you know, is, is different than it was even 50 or 100 years ago or 200 years ago or different than when the church was around in the 15th and 16th century. It's almost more like the pre-Christian world in the first and second century than it was from our culture, at least in the West, a hundred years ago. But it's this idea, I want to just end off our series with this reminder that you and I are sent with this good news into our world. We're called to bring this. It's not only for Isaiah the prophet, it's not only for the prophets, it's not only for the Apostle Paul or other New Testament writers, it's not even only for Jesus. But you and I are good news people, and Jesus is the one who actually sends us to be good news people. John 17, this is a prayer from, uh, from John's gospel, a prayer of Jesus, one of his most famous prayers where he prays for unity and he prays for protection and he prays for a sense of holiness um, in, in, his, in his disciples' lives, but he's also commissioning them. And just part of this prayer, verse 15, he says this, I pray, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, and we've been talking lately, right, like how sometimes even in the evangelical world, sometimes it's like, let's just be completely separate that we can live in our own bubble. That's not the case. I love what Jesus prays here. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But then Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Later on in John 20, this is post the resurrection. The disciples are uh, a little nervous in this moment. They haven't seen Jesus, his resurrected body yet. Here's the scene, John 20, 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. But then Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Before the cross and the resurrection, after the resurrection, 
Jesus gives his disciples this specific vocation, this specific calling. They're sent into the world. During this early prayer, John 17, this commissioning prayer, he says, I'm not, I don't, I'm not praying, Lord, that you would take my disciples out of the world. That's not my prayer. It's not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them while they're in the world. Jesus understands the complexities of being in our world. Jesus understands what it means to, to be a reflection of his kingdom or to long for his kingdom in the context of the kingdoms of our world. It's not always easy. There's contrast. There's differences. There's conflict. There's brokenness. There's, there's pain. Jesus understands the complexities of our world, yet he doesn't take us out of it. He keeps us in it. Isn't that incredible? He keeps us in it. And again, post the resurrection, these disciples who in that moment are afraid because they think Jesus is gone, has died, they're hearing rumors, they're not sure what's going on. He comes in the room with them. Two times he says, my peace I give you. My peace I give you. He's aware of their emotions. He's aware of their fears. He's aware of the complexities in our life. He's aware of the struggles we walk through. He's aware of the, of, of the contrasts of his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. But yet... In that moment as well, he says, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. That's what he tells them. We started this whole series four weeks ago in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, where after John the Baptist is paving the way for Jesus, it's almost like Jesus takes the microphone and says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's the self-fulfillment of that, that declaration. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe this good news. This good news that God's kingdom is different, this good news that God's kingdom will one day rule and reign, this good news that Jesus coming is very different than the Caesar who walks into the streets and says, good news, I'm the king. Jesus is announcing another king. Full circle, Jesus sends his disciples out to do the same thing. We're not the king, he's still the king, <laughs> but we're commissioned, we're sent out as his disciples to do the same thing. And for generations and centuries and all across the globe now, Jesus has been sending his church into the world, different cultures, different languages, different landscapes. Years ago, when Westside was really young and we were hitting a burnout, we just paused for about a month and um, met in homes and stopped normal larger gatherings and just kind of rested a bit. And I took about a two-day retreat just by myself as well as a whole bunch of us were praying. And I was actually up at Camp Peniel, the camp that, you know, Nathan was talking about. And I remember two images that jumped out at me. First, I saw I, there was a lot of irises around the area, the plant, the iris plant, you know. And uh, I saw one of them like growing out of the brook, the, the little ravine under, under the road, and it was just, it was shooting up out of the water. It looked so refreshing, and it was flourishing nicely, and I'm like, that's nice. It's in the water. I didn't think of anything at the time. And then I was walking along the beach water, and there was these rocks crowded together, and I see this iris. It came through the rocks, out. It's not as big as it was in the water. Didn't look as, like, you know, refreshing and full, but it was still coming out of the rocks, and I don't know why in that moment, God doesn't normally give me like images types of things like a message for me, but I really felt in that moment, it's kind of reminding me because we were going through a struggle too. He's like, Dave, the church around the world is like an iris plant. Because if you, if you research iris plants, there's 30 different, 300 different species. They grow all over the world in different, different environments. I'm like, 
it's true, this is the church. Sometimes it's in a luscious, flowing kind of water environment. Sometimes it's just breaking through the rocks, but it's still there, it's still present, it's still growing. And that's the church throughout the generations, throughout cultures and centuries and around the globe. There's a really cool organization, it's called Move In. A friend of mine named Nigel Paul, he, 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 he really had a vision, him and his wife, Jesse, wonderful people. And Nigel and Jesse live in, in a, a, like a one-kilometer radius um, or in Toronto with just extreme high-rises. And that, that whole, like there's thousands and thousands of people in this one-kilometer radius. They're mainly, uh, you know, not originated from Canada, high Muslim population, other different religious groups, uh, often um, poorer people that are living in this complex. They chose to move in there. And they've been living there for over 10 years. And God gave Nigel and Jesse this vision to call the church to live in these pockets around the city with the urban poor. And there's a little picture there uh, of their website. If you ever go to it, now it, it used to be MoveInTO, but they've gone all over the world. It's now MoveIn.Global. And it's in Canada and Indonesia, India, Brazil. I, not Brazil, but I can't read it from here. But in some of the Latin America, um, the Philippines, it's incredible. They've invited Christians not to leave their jobs, not to leave their churches, but to say, would you come and move into a patch of, of real estate among the urban poor? And now there's hundreds of these pockets of Christians living all over the world. And the, all they do is they pray together weekly, they live in that neighborhood, intentionally, and they spread good news on purpose. And it's grown from Toronto to Germany to Manila to India to six different parts of our world, and it's incredible to see what's happening. And this just reminds me, God has sent you and I into, into our world, into our culture, into our neighborhoods, into our networks, into our workplaces, into even, it's not a surprise to the Holy Spirit, even into the secular culture of our world today not to accommodate to the culture, but also not to isolate from the culture, but to be immersed in the culture. This was said of Jesus in John chapter 114, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson's translation always jumps out at me. God moved into the neighborhood. God moved into the neighborhood. I love that metaphor. So we hear Jesus now in these, in John, in these passages of John, we hear Jesus saying, as God sent me, I'm sending you. As God in Christ moved into the neighborhood of the first century, Jesus is sending his disciples into different pockets. The Holy Spirit promised you're not just going to be here, but you're going to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other, other parts of the world. We don't even see, even in our New Testament scriptures, all the pockets of Syria and Alexandria and places within the writings of Paul that were already there. We don't even realize that there were other Christians in Rome even before Paul showed up, but he's writing to now this church that has started to gather and come together. And it's because God has a mission, and God's mission, get this, God's mission has a church. We don't have a mission. God's mission has us. 
right? We don't have a mission. God's given us a mission. God has a mission. His mission has a church, and you and I are part of that mission. We're part of that God's purpose to bring good news to the world. And it all starts, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks as well, last week especially, is it starts with our relationship with Christ. Because once someone comes into a relationship with Christ, when someone surrenders to Christ and comes under Christ's lordship, well, all of a sudden we get involved, we get brought into God's mission. We get become partners in God's mission. Paul calls, I think it's in Galatians, you know, he calls us partners in the gospel. And so part of our identity, which is, which is this is the benefit Part of our identity, when we come to Christ, we get rooted in God's story. We get rooted in God's story. What's God's story from Genesis to Revelation? It's a restoration project. God's story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is a restoration project. And it starts in a garden. It ends in a city. The climax is Jesus. There's brokenness, you know, throughout the world. But the, God's project is to restore the world from the prophets to Revelation, saying, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make what's wrong right. I'm going to make what's broken healed. I'm going to make what's sad become unsad and untrue because his rule and reign will, will bring that to fulfillment. And he started right from the fall of humanity to show us that people's brokenness in their relationship with God and with each other and with the planet is something we all live with, but he longs to restore that. The scriptures is one big restoration project that we get to, we get to be privy to, to see God's design and plans. But that's not just our identity. We're invited now. We get to invite others into God's story. See, when we... When our identities begin sh are shaped, now rooted in God's story, we end up get to, to invite people into God's story. And this is so important here. And so the world around us, why is, that, why is that true? Why is that the case for us? Why does God want us to invite people in? Because God wants to restore the world. And he's using us to do that. And when we experience restoration, if you've experienced restoration, that kind of life only comes through Jesus. Here's this one line I want to read from you off the screen, and I wrote it this way. Our, our identity is rooted in God's story, and then we invite others into God's story. Our identity is rooted in God's story when we come to Christ, but then we get to invite others into that story, into God's story. But how are we sent? Jesus said it, right? Like, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Well, there's two things to that. One is this, this sign of good news, this, the fact that you and I, we are assigned through the work of the Holy Spirit to be good news. Did you catch Jesus' words? And not just his words, he, it was a, an action. Like Jesus leaned right in there when he was with his disciples post the resurrection. My peace be with you. He tells them two times, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he says, as he's saying that, he's, he, he, he just he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so receiving the Holy Spirit is the clue to you and me being this sign of God's kingdom. We can't do that on our own. Last week we were talking about living the good news out of 1 Peter 2, that we're, we, we can be a sign of God's kingdom to the world around us. One of the phrases we've learned over the years at Westside, uh, now we, I say it often and some have also been saying, is that we're God's living and local presence. 
where God's living in local presence. We're, we're called to live good news. But here's the thing. We can get full of ourselves. We often think, well, God's going to use my intellect and my skills and my gifts and my wealth and my charisma, and he can. He can use I mean, I know a whole bunch, all of us, in some ways that we're serving the Lord. He's using you in a way that he's not using me. He's using the skills you have that I don't have. He's using some of the wealth that somebody has that someone else might not have and vice versa. That is true. But what's so important here, we need to understand, it's never based on that. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, even though the church had a bunch of obstacles within the Roman Empire, it was God's Spirit at work in them. Because they were marginalized. They had no platform. They had no power. But they had God's peace. And they had God's presence. And they had God's power. And they, they, they expressed resilience. And they experienced peace. And they saw miracles. And the Holy Spirit was working in that. They saw God work in them. Did you catch when Jesus tells, you know, presents himself to his disciples? Before he sends them, he comes in and he's like, I want to show you the the marks on my hands and the mark on my side. And then he sends them out. And I I think in that moment, Jesus puts the cards on the table and says, listen, guys, um, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. But even in your suffering, God's going to work. Even in your suffering, the Holy Spirit that you're going to receive is going to be working and this is so important because we, we read church history documents that tell us that even in the moments when the church was martyred, even in the moments when, when unfortunately people's blood was spilled because they were Christ followers, there was reports looking back to those eras and this one line always, always jumps out at me. It says that the blood of the saints became seeds in the soil for new growth not intending for blood to happen, but even in the middle of suffering, even in that, the world became more attracted to God, more attracted to Christ. Somehow they saw God's work even when people's lives were being taken because they were following Jesus. And what did that lead to? That led to a curiosity in people. That led to a curiosity in the first century. That leads to a curiosity in our day and age today. And that sign of, of God's kingdom leads us to speak about God's kingdom. So we move from identity to invitation. And when we're speaking, this, the word I chose for the title of this series is alert. I, I think this word is important. Not alert like I'm awake, but alerting people. Alerting people to the good news of God's kingdom. Alerting them. We get a chance to share that, to speak that. It's not only our life. Last week we talked about that, and it's so essential. But think about this, and and I want to kind of look at the hybrid of both of these together. In the book of Acts, look through some of the messages in Acts. There's about seven or eight gospel messages. Most of those messages, when one of the apostles or leaders stood up to kind of preach the gospel, it usually came on the heels of some demonstration. Something happened. Whether it was miraculous, whether it was resilience, whether it was a sense of generosity, whether it was something incredible like people speaking in other tongues or something like that, most gospel messages and acts were a response to the Spirit's work through the church. There was some kind of sign of God's kingdom in the church. It was peace. It was hope. It was miracles. It was resilience. It was extreme generosity. It was compassion. And then people are saying, why, why did that happen? And how did that happen? And who made this happen? And then they had an opportunity to invite. 
and the invitation came. An invitation to God's story is often prompted by a demonstration of one's identity in God's story. I want to read that one off the screen. An invitation to God's story is often prompted, not always, but often prompted by a demonstration of one's identity in God's story. Jesus did the same thing. He, he, he speaks with authority. Uh, he heals somebody. Uh, something takes place. You know, 5,000 are fed. Something's happening. And then he ends up explaining the kingdom after he demonstrates it. And people are like, I just, can you tell me what's happening here? Can you tell me what this is about? Can you tell me how this happened? So people are saying, what's this? And it's almost as now the opportunity for Jesus is, well, let me tell you. And what just happened? And the opportunity is, well, let me explain. Where did you get this hope? I'd love to tell you about that. But this is true for you and me, right, in our day and age. How come you have not lost hope during this tragedy? Let me tell you why. How did you embrace the pain instead of avoiding it? Let me tell you who helped me. Or maybe it's, where did this kind of justice come from? I normally read retributive justice, where people get back at another person. Where did this kind of justice come from? How did you not become an oppressor after you were oppressed for 10 or 15 or 20 years? Let me tell you what changed my heart. Who leads you to serve the poor like that? I wonder, think about these move-in patches across the, the globe when people who are making average or above average salaries choose to move into pockets of poverty in the, with the urban poor and someone says, why would, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And is this your budget? No, it's not because of my budget. Why would you do that? And then the opportunity comes for someone to declare and express and explain God's kingdom to somebody. Leslie Newbegin quoted him last week. He said this, how is a Christian message to be credible if its meaning is not illustrated in patterns of action which correspond to it? That's when Peter later writes in his letter, chapter three of the same book we read last week, he writes, you know, be ready to give an answer for what you believe. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. I think our secular world is hungry for hope. I think that our secular world is desperate for hope. I think that in the midst of, you know, there's some positives of secularism, like religious freedom is, is, a, is a good form of, of secularism. But then there's some negative elements of secularism. This extreme dependence on self and innovation and progress have left so many people hanging dry. Well, I have this and I've tried this, and this innovation is here, but I still... I'm still desperate for hope. And in a world where they want to maybe kind of be antagonistic towards faith or in some way or shape or form, especially forms like Christianity, people are left hanging. People are left wondering. People are left struggling. Just talk to high school teachers. Talk to college teachers. Talk to parents. Talk to any age group. Talk to, uh, you know, senior citizens. Talk to people who are just in the thick of I thought we, we already, I thought we could figure everything out. I thought there was a pill for this. I thought there was this for that. Talk to the grade seven teacher who recently told me that the last two years, she has had the hardest, most difficult, disconnected, distracted grade seven groups ever in her 20 years of history. She says, they have come to me after the pandemic without a sense of 
being able to interact with people more stuck to their screens than ever, unable to do the work that we would have normally done, and, and just so down emotionally. And it reminds me, our secular world is desperate for hope, is desperate for good news. Being sent by Jesus is a combination that, that God leads us to, like we see in the Gospels and Acts, demonstration of God's kingdom and an explanation of God's kingdom. I know in evangelical circles, sometimes it's like, explain, 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 tell them, tell them, tell them. You know, just give them this nugget of truth. And then, and yes, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we talk about the good news. That's why we declare who Jesus is. But we see it in the gospels and we see it in Acts, this beautiful combination of demonstration and explanation of deeds and words, of embodied truth and expressed truth. I never forget when... I was on the line of my dad's funeral, receiving guests. And it was a difficult time, but it was also an incredibly encouraging time to meet these people who had interacted with my dad over the years. A lawyer comes by, a banker, an old business partner, someone from, that he met that was from Italy and then moved here. And, and I remember hearing some of these stories like, you know, your dad helped me through this business transaction that just helped me start off. Or your dad was involved in helping my wife and I uh, in a difficult season of our marriage. Or, you know, this banker tells us another story and, and, and co-workers. And I just, my dad was a very passionate evangelist. He loved to share the gospel. He had, you know, he had a call to Italians in Montreal and it, you can, can't ever find this because YouTube didn't exist back then, but like, he would like record these TV programs every Thursday and it was on certain channels that people in Montreal could watch because he just had this passion to share the gospel with the world around him. But what I was reminded of during his funeral is that, my, that he wasn't only talking the gospel, but he was with people. And I think this combination of what we see in the gospels and the book of Acts is so vital that when we live out the gospel and we embody the gospel, we have opportunity to express the gospel to the people around us. Isn't that true? And that, all those stories, one after one, I wasn't ready for them, but just hearing that, and, and you guys have stories like that. You know of people in your life or yourself. You know when you, 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 when you meet someone that has been a, an impact to others with their words, but also with their life, and how that combination is so beautiful and so powerful, right? But here's how I want to just end today. We have an announcement for our world. We really do. We have an announcement for our world. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. The announcement is that God's kingdom has come in Jesus. That's the announcement. That is the big, the most simplest form of the gospel is God's kingdom broke into our world through Jesus. He came announcing that was the good news, that Jesus, that God was becoming king in Jesus and that his rule and his reign and his vision and his values and his uh, plan for restoration is the good news. God's kingdom has come in Jesus and we, many of us, have experienced it. And so when we have a chance, when we have an opportunity, we're sent to the world around us. When someone says, what is this new reality 
How does this function? Help me understand the presence of God at work here. Help me understand what, how this vision is challenging the principalities and powers at work in us. It's, it's when even a moment that's going on, like this horrible moment that's going on in Israel and Gaza and sometimes other parts of the world, when some people step in and say, you know, let's, let's give them more tanks or let's do this. Or, and Christians are saying, no, why don't we pray for peace to de-escalate this war? How, do we, how can we envision a different, a different outcome for our world? world, when people see that, then they ask, well, why? How? And often we see this breaking up the ground in people's lives and around the world. And then people ask, why? I hope people will ask us one day, why aren't we, why aren't you tied to one political party, but you seem to pursue the best in all political parties? Because no political party fully reflects Jesus. And that throws people off. And then they say, Why? Why is that the case? Or what broke down the racial divide in your community? Or maybe more familiar, how did you forgive that person? How did you forgive that person? Or how did you experience freedom from shaming guilt? Or where did you get that peace from the storm that you were going through? I know I'm going to go through a storm one day. I would love to know how you went through that storm like that. How did that happen? And then we have this news. God's kingdom came near in Jesus. He broke into our world, and he's inviting us into the story. He wants to restore you. God's kingdom came near in Jesus. And we don't have time to talk about the fullness of Jesus, but it is the pre-existent, incarnated, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, ever-present, future-reigning King Jesus. Amen? That's the bigness of Jesus. And it's that Jesus, God's Son, who broke into our world, bringing God's kingdom near. God did this to restore the world. But you know what? God did this to restore you too and to restore me. And there's a neighbor on your street that needs restoration too, and they long for this. They're desperate for good news. And when you, when you and I, when, when you recognize who he is and why he's come and respond to his lordship, like Paul said at the beginning in Romans, when you believe in him and trust in him and confess that he's Lord, God begins to restore you. Because now you've entered into his story, and he begins to change your identity. And if you're hearing this invite for the first time this morning, please please take into consideration this invitation because God wants to restore your life and he's inviting you into his story. And the God who broke into our world and moved into our neighborhood, he wants to move into your life and into your heart. But only when you, can, only when you come to say, you know what, Jesus, I think you're a better leader than me. <laughs> I want you to be Lord of my life. That's how we enter into God's story. If that's you today, in this moment, as we pray in a moment, please take some time to reflect on that. And we'd love to journey with you moving forward. But here, here's this, just this last thing. Let me, can I remind us of this? You and I are sent. You and I are sent. Like Rose is sent, I'm sent. Daria, Matt, you're sent. Richard, you're sent. You're, we're sent it, to invite others into God's story because all the other stories that drive the world all the other stories that drive the world, all the other kingdoms that drive the world, all the other ideologies and promises that drive the world will not restore the world and will not restore the human heart. Only God's story and his kingdom does that. And Paul told the Roman church, if you don't preach, how will they hear? 
And if you don't go, who will go? So who are you inviting into God's story? Who are you inviting in? There's a, just one little phrase on the screen I want you to leave with, and it's three for the rest of 23. I think it's up there. Three for the rest of 23. You got that really simple? Can we all say that? Three for the rest of 23. Sorry, I love a good rhyme, okay? So, so and why is that important? Three for the rest of 23. Because we have so many months left in 2023, right? So my invitation to you is, who are you inviting into God's story? Could you intentionally list, name, and pray for three people for the rest of 2023? For the rest of October and November and December. For the next three months till we come to the close of 2023, it's a start and stop invitation. Would you list and name and pray for three people Three people that are in your orbit, in your neighborhood, in your network, in your family. Maybe God's going to put a name that, on your mind that you wouldn't think of. Who knows? But three people to be praying for for the rest of 2023. And here's the ultimate reason why. You're sent to them. You're sent. I'm not sent to those three people. I mean, we're all sent to everybody, but we can only do so much, right? Do for the three as you would love to do for everyone. So let's do that. Sound good? Do it today. Don't wait till Monday. Don't wait till Friday. Like, I, maybe you've written it. I see some people writing some names now. Now, Just be praying for those people. Why? Because it's God's Holy Spirit that works in people's lives. It's not just going to take your skill and ingenuity or your awesome wardrobe or whatever that's going to bring people to Jesus. It's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But God wants to use you in the middle of that. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we, many here today, have responded to the invitation to come into your story and then to become part of your story. We're so grateful for the climax of your restoration project, Jesus, your Son, incarnated, crucified, resurrected, ascended. We thank you for how your kingdom broke into our world, into our neighborhoods, into our heart. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful because it is such good news. There was no other king, no other kingdom, no other kind of life that is better than the one that comes from you, than your kingdom and your will to be done in us as it is in heaven. And as many of us have welcomed that and we want to continue welcoming more and more of that fullness into our lives, God, may we also see that there's so many people around us that need an invitation. May you use us, God, our deeds and our words. May you use us, Lord, as your Holy Spirit works in us and around us with opportunities to explain your kingdom to people around us. The great gospel and good news of your kingdom, oh God. Use us, God, to invite others in. We can easily think of a handful of people that are so desperate for hope right now. Oh God, what would happen if they would make room for you to break into their lives and their hearts? And God, if we can play a part of that, because you've called us, you've sent us, 
then we say yes. We say yes to this vocation. And right now, as people have been writing names and thinking about names, and by the end of the day, Lord, we want to be faithful to be bringing these friends before you in prayer and intercession. Oh, God, so they would experience the wonderful hope and restoration that comes from the good news of your kingdom. Help us be the kind of church that makes space for people that are searching. Help us to be the kind of church that, that follows the example of the Gospels and the book of Acts, a demonstration of your good news and an explanation of your good news. May we embody this truth and may we express it. And we trust on your Holy Spirit to be at work because this is still your mission and we're part of it. And for some here today, God, that are just longing for hope and longing to make a next step and are just hungry to step into the goodness of your kingdom, oh God, I pray for them as they're discerning and deciding this, Lord. May they see the beautiful vision of your kingdom and understand and welcome the lordship of Jesus into their lives and receive all the wonderful benefits that come as a part of that, God, especially the forgiveness of sins and restoration and salvation. We pray this in Jesus' incredible name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.